This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about things that are going on in your life, things that are about going on in our world, uh, anything and everything. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's numerically 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions that way. If you are driving in your car on this cold day, and I don't know if it's raining out there or not, but It's cold for sure. The safest way to do it is use the free KSLR mobile app, and uh, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer by by pressing the um, Callback. callback button at the top, or the call now button at the top of the screen. I'm off my game because it's cold. Yesterday morning, I was out running with t shirts and sweats, or I mean shorts and sweating. And today it's freezing. I don't know what's going on with this crazy weather. Anyway, nothing to announce today, so let's get right to the questions. My first one is a very special question from Charles. It's really, uh, this just thrills me, Charles, more than I can tell you. It's from our email inbox. And Charles says, I just finished reading the NLT, which was really easy to understand, and I enjoyed it a lot. Before that, I read the 1984 NIV. What should I read next? Another version or one of the above again or something else? Charles, I can't tell you how cool this is. You have read, now I don't know what the time frame here is, but you've read the Bible completely through two times just by your desire to read two different translations. Now think about that. I know people that haven't read the Bible one time full. People that have been Christians for for decades and they haven't read the whole Bible one time and you've read it through twice. Bless your heart. Um, This is is more encouraging to me than you can imagine. Now, as to what you read next, uh, I don't really think it matters. Um, I would... Uh, read the version if the NLT was the one which was easiest for you to understand. I just read it again and also start going into a little bit deeper study than just the read through. Again, always be reading through, but at the same time, then then start pick a book 
and sort of chew on it a little bit. Go really slowly through it, maybe um, 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 a segment at a time. You know you how the Bibles are, are um, divided off in sections. Um, read until the Lord kind of starts to speak to your heart. And really begin then to understand it. Chew on it a little bit slowly. You can keep your reading going, but read a little bit more slowly. And when you sit down to read, just tell the Lord, Okay, Jesus, what about me? What do you want to say to me right now? What do I need to hear from heaven? And he will bless the fact that you've read through the Bible twice. And then he'll begin speaking to you. And you can go to a completely different level. Again, please don't stop reading through it. Reading it, getting an an overview of it, beginning to understand it in its continuity is wonderful. But uh, it's something that you really could, could, could slow down now and begin allowing the Word to change you. And you'll know, the Lord will speak to your heart when you come up against something that is, um, you just feel like God's got something to say, um, keep your Bible open and sort of pray as you're reading it. Okay, Lord, what does this mean for me? I feel like you're trying to tell me something here. And he'll do it. So keep reading, um, but also study. Uh, one other thing I would say, probably, now, now this is just me, but if I was going to read another version rather than reread one that you've already read, uh, this time I'd try the New King James uh, and I would do that because it comes out of a different set of manuscripts. There are some differences, um, no critical differences, and no discrepancies. But it is it is a, 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 a different translation that I think you'll enjoy. So, Charles, thank you for um, being um, so diligent to do that. I mean, that just thrills this pastor's heart. I can tell you that for sure. Here's a question from Daniel. He said, did Jesus stop being God on the cross when he died? Um, Daniel, no. Jesus had two natures. Now, I know this is hard for us to grasp, but Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. God cannot die, but the man, the human Jesus, died on the cross. When he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, and then he cried out, it is finished. That was when Jesus the human took his last breath. And it was Jesus the man that died in order that sinful men, mankind, uh, could be forgiven of sins. But Jesus never stopped being God. Um, His his identity, his nature as God never ceased. So it was simply his humanity that was murdered on the cross. And that's really important. You know, one of the problems that people have, uh, Jews in particular, but it was one of the problems that that his disciples had as they watched him die. They couldn't imagine. They knew who he was, but they couldn't reconcile the fact that God died. And Jesus will later appear to them and say, "Well, well, why were you so slow of heart to believe? I said I was going to rise on the third day. And of course he did. And that... One thing, his resurrection of the dead, Daniel, is what validates the fact that he is God. He always was, continues to be, and he always will be. So Jesus didn't stop being God. He stopped in his humanity. One other point, Daniel, I think sometimes we forget. Um, Jesus 
um, in his humanity, willingly, eagerly surrendered for us. In his resurrection, he will be physical in form. And his human body, his physical body, will still bear the scars of his torture. It's an amazing thing for me. It's an amazing thing for me to consider. Jesus will be the only handicapped person in heaven. Imagine what it would be like to look at those scars. And I think for the first time when we see him face to face, we'll truly understand how much he loves us. Good question. Mel says, Pastor Ron, what should the church do to prepare for the rapture? Uh, Jesus said that we're to occupy until he comes. That means we're to be about his business, Mel. And I think every day that we live with Jesus is a preparation for the rapture of the church. Um, You know, I I kind of view that as graduation day. Um, You know, a lot of the stuff that we do here uh, seems mundane or ordinary, but when we're in the will of God and when we're serving God, we are preparing for the rapture of the church. It's, It's like we study and we get good grades and we go through four years of high school or four years of college and then somebody hands us a diploma. Well, the rapture is sort of our diploma. It's when we go to be with Jesus. So walk with Jesus, talk to him, be in the word, be others-centered. In other words, think about how God can use you to minister comfort or encouragement to other people. And if you're with Jesus, he's going to take you to places. He's going to have assignments for you that are going to be absolutely wonderful. And all the while, that's what you're doing. You're preparing for the rapture of the church. Now, Mel, as you know, I think answering the question, I believe the rapture is going to happen soon. I think it could happen at any moment. Well, if that's true, if the rapture is going to happen, I want to be ready. And so we do that simply by being obedient, by being reverent, by ministering kindness and love to people who need it, Jesus said, that's my business. You're, you're, you're occupying yourself with my business until I come. So, Mel, I hope that answers your question. You know, I think sometimes, especially we men like checklists. If you give me a list of ten things to do, uh, we do them. But God says, how about you just hang with me until I come? Thank you, Mel. Here's a question from Jean. Uh, Pastor, I may have your thoughts on Robert Morris's ministry, please. Um, Gene, I'm, I'm not all that familiar with Robert Morris. I have been listening to him um, maybe for six months, a little bit. I'd be in the in the car at the time his radio program comes on our local Christian stations. On on uh, we have two of them in San Antonio, uh, and um, um, you know, I, I sort of was a little bit skeptical at first because it, it, just the setting and the style looked like typical um, um, positive confession stuff. But it's not. I, I haven't heard him say anything that was doctrinally out of bounds. Um, uh, he seems like a very nice man who is is um, gifted um, by God. He's, he's certainly being used by the Lord. And um, I think based on what I've heard, and I've probably listened to uh, not a lot, but but I'll bet I've listened to 
half dozen or so of his uh, programs between the radio and YouTube. And uh, uh, I actually like him. I actually like him. It, it seems like his heart is in the right place. It really sounds like he loves the people that God has given him. He has been wonderfully blessed with a huge church. Um, um, and, he, and he appears to be a, a guy whose doctrine is pretty solid. So um, that's all I know about him. But but uh, I haven't heard anything that would send up any uh, warning flags at all, Gene. So listen, enjoy, and be blessed. Here is a question from this one. Not, not going to name the question. The, the question comes from Skeptic. Uh, how is a non-believer supposed to know what is true when even Christians disagree on doctrine so much? Skeptic. Disagreement is natural. I talked about this, I don't know if it was this past Sunday. I think it was this past Sunday. Uh, if you want to go to calvarysa.com, you can listen to the message. I talked about disunity in the church. I think sometimes we have a, a view that unity is equal to uniformity. In other words, we have to believe the same things in, in the same doctrines, and um, if we don't believe that, then we're not in unity. Well, that's not true. Uniformity is not a good thing. Unity is. We can be in unity with the Spirit, uh, Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 1. And and the result of that is just loving um, even when we disagree on things. In fact, love in in disagreement is really one of the birthmarks of a Christian. I can love somebody who disagrees with me. In fact, I'm commanded to do so. Now, there are things that we can't disagree on. Christians can't disagree on the essentials of the historic Christian faith. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. That's an essential. Jesus uh, was without sin. That Jesus lived. He died. He rose again. He didn't stay dead. Um, we have to, to 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 agree on those things. The, the doctrine of the Trinity. You can't mess with the character and nature of God. Uh, God is one God in three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You cannot deny the Trinity and be walking in unity with real Christians. So. The disagreements, other than in the essentials, on the non-essential issues, skeptic, are are are, are certainly okay. We can we can disagree on the gift of tongues. We can disagree on the the, the gifts of the spirit. Are they for today or have they ceased? Uh, we can disagree on on even what I think consider to be important doctrines. Calvinism uh, is one of those things. But 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 we can be in unity even in the disagreements. Now, I want you to think about something. If every Christian believed the same thing, if everybody was telling exactly the same story, wouldn't that be kind of creepy? Paul will even write later to the Corinthians that that it's essential that there's disagreement. I know that there must be disagreement to show which of you has God's approval. So we need to understand that that is really important for us in terms of walking together in unity. And if we'll do that, then we'll have um, a lot of fruit coming from our lives. So don't worry so much about what other people believe. Here's the question, skeptic, and I'm going to challenge you to find the answer. What do you believe? 
What do you believe? I can tell you how non-believers are supposed to know what is true. Open your Bible and read it. Check it out. Find out for yourself. Let the Spirit of God witness to you. If you are honestly, genuinely seeking God, He'll reveal Himself to you. And then study to show yourself approved, a workman or women rightly dividing the Word of God. But don't get freaked out about people disagreeing. Humans are different. We have different backgrounds. We see life through different filters. There has to be disagreement. That's not something that we can avoid. Learn to love the people you disagree with. And you just see how much revelation you get from the Holy Spirit about some of the things that you have questions. So instead of asking questions like this, find out for yourself what is true. Thank you, skeptic. I pray that you will open your eyes and heart in really discover how much God loves you. Here's a question from our mobile app from Chip. He says, how or in what way are the nations blessed as God promised in Genesis 22 Verse 18, it says, And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, obviously, this is God speaking to Abraham. Uh, He was just asked to sacrifice Isaac. Of course, it was never God's intention to uh, have have Abraham killed the boy. Actually, he was a young man, so um, um, this was a test. And when Abraham was obedient, God says, now I know you love me. Now I know where your priorities are. And then he says, because you've obeyed me, your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That's just a reference to the Christ, the Messiah, coming through the line of Abraham to the whole world. That's the blessing. The blessing is um, there will be innumerable multitudes of people who believe. All nations will have knowledge of God. And for those who respond to that knowledge, then heaven awaits. But what it means is that the lineage that leads to Jesus Christ is now on the earth. And as Jesus said, many are called but few are chosen. But everybody has the opportunity So it's just one of those matters. So Chip, that's all. It's just a a promise that the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior will come through this line of people. Remember, this is a man who was just about to kill his son in obedience to God. God stopped him, provided a lamb, and God says, now I know that you are blessed. Thank you very much for the question. Let's go to the phones and talk with Glenn on line one. Glenn, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, brother. Good to hear you. And Thank I, you, I just got through hearing you talk about unity in the church and disagreement amongst Christians. And I just want to ask you, can, can it, is it possible that Christians could disagree on abortion and on same-sex marriage? Oh, Glenn, great question. It, it is possible, but here's where the, the division comes in. Um, a, a real Christian cannot consent, somebody who really has the Spirit of Christ, cannot consent to murder. It's that simple. Murderers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and we're talking, of course, about unrepentant 
uh, murders. So when somebody says I'm a Christian and uh, I'm pro-abortion, or or they would say I'm I'm pro pro-choice, um, I would ask him, well, well, how would you justify being um, pro-abortion, taking an innocent human life, when that conflicts with everything that God says in His Word. And the truth is you're going to find they don't really care about God's Word or they don't really know God's Word. And and typically, Glenn, and I'm, I'm going to be very general here because I can't speak specifically because people are in different places in their walk with the Lord, but typically that's a person who is not born again. Um, the same thing is true with somebody who uh, is... Um, a proponent of same-sex marriage or homosexuality. You know, they love each other, let them love. Well, they don't know the love of God. And and when we talk with them, and we have to do this uh, in a kind way, but when we we talk with them, um, we've got to take a stand for the Word of God. The Bible says people who live like you're advocating, Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how can you support a lifestyle that is going to condemn somebody to an eternity in hell? And again, typically, and there are lots and lots of professing Christians, Glenn, who, who um, um, affirm and approve um, heartily um, same-sex relationships. And in situations like that, there are people that really don't know who God is. And in most cases, they're unbelievers, they may claim to lay, uh, to know Jesus, but he doesn't know them. Now, let me give you just an exception here. Um, before I got saved, it's a long time ago, uh, I remember driving through our town on my way to work. The freeways were backed up, so I got off to take some back roads. And there was a, an abortion protest in front of a clinic. And, and I was so incensed that they would dare delay me anymore. And, and what is it to them? And, and it's a woman's right to choose and that kind of thing. Um, and, and when I got saved, that didn't change instantly. But as I began to open the Bible, as I began to learn a little bit more about who Jesus was, then I had to realize that as a professing Christian, it's my responsibility to agree with Jesus on these issues. And as I found out who he was, as I realized his character, it's sort of an evolution, that then I had to realize that he's not going to change, so that means I have to. If I claim to know him, if I claim to love him, I have to change. And by agreeing with him, then that change begins to happen in our heart. So it is possible that we could believe anything as new believers. However, as we progress in our walk with the Lord, if we really claim to know him, if we really claim to love him, then we're going to find out what he thinks about things. And it's at that point, Glenn, that our opinions don't matter at all, and we've got to decide to agree with him. Now, how do we keep unity between professing believers? This is one of those areas where um, you've got to decide you're going to stand for Jesus or you're going to stand um, in compromise. And we can never compromise. Unity is never found by compromise. That's agreeability. Um, but 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 unity is never found. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Amos three three says, and it's a great principle for us. So I can't agree with somebody in in something that is a violation of God's word because that's not unity. That's just me compromising. 
So we've got to take a stand, and that's the stand. I had a question yesterday in the program about what it means when there's division in the house. Well, that Jesus said, I came to divide families. And this is where families are divided. This is where friendships are broken. Relationships are lost. Because we've got to decide, I'm going to stand with Jesus. I'm going to stand for Jesus. And I'm not going to compromise. And when you don't compromise, people aren't going to like you. I think, Glenn, we see that. And I'm going to lower the stakes a little bit. But I think we see that with uh, Democrats and Republicans now. I mean, we're in election time, and there are are Republican professing Christians who um, have have condemned Democrats to hell for eternity. There are Democrats who think that by our support for President Trump, who is largely an immoral man, who's who's um, uh, whose life is a mess. Um, by voting for him, that we're turning our back on important issues like morality, sexual immorality. Um, I think we, we can still have unity in those things. Uh, everyone is going to stand before God and give account of his or her vote. But I think it's important that we really make a differentiation between uh, the things that really identify a real question. By the way, let me encourage you again today, as I did yesterday, to pray for our nation this week. And if you've not yet voted, make plans to do it. Uh, this has been the Word to Stand Up for Life. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. Um, we'll see you on the other side of the break in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final half hour today, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, here is a question from Joan. She says... I have a friend who's fallen away from the faith. I love her, but I am angry with her. How now should I respond to her? Um, Joan, keep loving her. Uh, Most of all, keep praying for her. Um, It's okay to be righteously angry with her, but remember the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Um, But pray for her. Talk to her. Witness to her. Um, if you get angry and you stay away from her, well, then she's not going to be able to see the joy that you have that she's now missing. Now, people fall away for a lot of reasons. Peter fell away. I want to remind you of that. Jesus wasn't angry with him. Um, Thomas doubted him. Jesus wasn't angry with him. Um, So tell her how your heart hurts. Tell her that... You're frightened for her. Let her know that you're going to be there for her. But let her know that you're going to stay with Jesus. Let her know you're going to pray for her. 
of every time you get the opportunity, reminder that you've been praying. Tell her God loves her. Tell her his arms are open wide. And for a time, Joan, she may avoid you. She may not want to be reminded of the things that she already knows. But when she gets in trouble and God begins to answer your prayers, the Holy Spirit begins working on her heart, she needs to know that she'll be able to come back to you. And she'll come back to you because you can lead her back to Jesus. It's very important. We don't disqualify ourselves. But it's also important, in fact, more important, not to pretend, you know, to save the friendship, to pretend like everything's okay, because it's not. Maybe sit down and write her a letter, remind her of some of the things that you've done together, some of the wonderful times you've had together in your service for the Lord, and tell her you miss her. This is, as a pastor, you can imagine, this is something I have to deal with all the time. And when I see people that I know who've fallen away, um, I usually ask them, how are you doing? They always tell me, I'm doing great, better than ever. Oh, so you're back with the Lord? No, I'm not interested in that. I'm still praying for you. And it is heartbreaking. So let your heart be broken without being angry. And let her know that you'll always be there for her no matter what. Painful stuff, I'm sorry. AJ says, Pastor Ron, what is the best way to really learn the Bible? Um, AJ, the first way, and, and this is the first question we start with, is Charles, just read it. Remember that reading the Bible is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you need to be really, really patient. That one of the things I think that we forget, we, we, we like answers. I got this question, what do I do? But, but, but discovery, I think that's part of what we've missed um, in, in, in our culture. Um, the Bible is an adventure. And, and the Bible, actually, it's living and active. It's how it describes itself. And so it changes with you. So the first time you read the Bible, there's going to be a lot of, what? I can't believe that. That doesn't make sense. But the more you read it, the more God is going to meet you there. So just purpose in your heart that you're going to discipline yourself to read it. Then, uh, I always say, AJ, that there's three ways that we should we should be interacting with our Bible. The first is just reading it sort of, as I said before, the overview. You've got to get familiar with it. You've got to see the, the, the wonderful continuity of, of the Word. Then um, you, you, you study it more slowly. Take little chunks of Scripture. Uh, again, always in context and always in, in systematic form. By that I mean reading from the beginning of a book to the end of a book. So if you're reading in the book of Ephesians, uh, for example, maybe read the first 14 verses of chapter 1 and really chew on it for a couple of days. Let the Lord really begin to speak to your heart. So that's the second way. And you do that, just keep doing it. The next day you pick it up in, in, in verse 15. Um, the third way is inductive study. And 
what you're going to do there is you're going to take, again, small sections of Scripture, and you're going to observe it. The first thing you're going to do is observe what it says. Just just read a, a verse and highlight the key issues. Highlight the key words. Then you're going to interpret that verse. What it says is first and what it means. And then the third thing, and I think this is where we really begin to grow, is when you say, okay, what does that mean for me right now? God, what are you trying to say to me? And you do that using nothing but the Bible. And when you get through those and you're, 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 you're starting to become more familiar and your study begins to get in-depth, then there's commentaries and all kinds of wonderful Bible study helps that are available. But, um, but, but please remember, this, this is a marathon. Um, I still expect the Lord's going to speak to me uh, after 29 years of studying His Word. Um, and, and it moves, it grows as we grow. Uh, and God is going to start answering questions for you. It's, that's the simple way. Thank you for the question, AJ. Let's go to Greg on line one from Boverde. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Could uh, get enjoy hearing you on the radio. Uh, I called last week after the Pope gave his uh, his uh, comment and I yes. guess policy position. And my question is, you know, being raised Catholic as I was. And much of my family is still Catholic. What, first of all, where does the Catholic Church get the concept of purgatory? And and I have to, another question after this. But if um, if it was a real place, uh, something important, something we should know, don't you think Jesus would have spoke on it? The apostles would have spoke on it. Paul would have spoke on it. And I don't find it anywhere in the New Testament. <laughs> okay. And what's the other question, Greg? Is what can you tell me about what you know about uh, Christian science? Okay, I can do that. Thank you, Greg. Let me deal with purgatory first. It's important. Uh, the reason that, that you can't find it in the New Testament is because it's not there. And by the way, it's not in the Old Testament either. Um, uh, church history, and, and I'm not a, a deep student of church history. Um, people were just as confused um, in the first century as they are in the 21st century. Um, but um, uh, the, the idea of purgatory seems to have sprung from um, uh, a, a way to collect money. You know, the, the Catholic Church needed to build buildings and, and they would sell indulgences. And um, the idea was you give these indulgences, you pay me money, and we will pray your loved ones uh, out of purgatory into heaven. Um, uh, you know, and, and of course, none of that is biblical. None of it has, has any merit at all. So th- th- there's no purgatory. It's, it's church tradition. It's a confused church tradition. It gets passed from generation to generation. Um, but it simply isn't there. Hebrews 9.27 makes it really clear. It is appointed unto men once to die and then face the judgment. So there's no praying them out. There's no second chance. And there is no purgatory. Uh, in Luke chapter 16, we see two compartments uh, in the abyss, in the center of the earth. Uh, one is called paradise, and the other is called is a place of torment. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus who died on the same day. Not Lazarus, Jesus' friend Lazarus, but... But 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 Lazarus the beggar, and uh, I I don't know if their assumption is that 
that place in the center of the earth is where they are, but but purgatory is a place of, uh, I mean, purgatory, if that's, if that's their understanding, is in a place of torment. Uh, the, the, the man said, I am in agony in this fire. And it is a place that people are going to be held until the great white throne judgment when the lake of fire is going to be created. And that's going to be the final resting place for all of those who don't know Christ. So um, um, if for some reason they use Luke 16 to justify the concept of purgatory, uh, it's certainly a willful misunderstanding of what's being said. But Greg, please, um, there, there's, and this is important, when, when you've got Catholic family members, people you care about deeply and are praying for, you need to ask them, where is this purgatory in your Bible? Make them look. Open the Bible. God is going to honor that. And, and, and um, um, they're gonna, not going to be able to find it just like you couldn't find it. And then you're going to have to ask them to make a decision. Well, if the church believes in it, but it's not in the Bible, what's the basis of the church's belief in it? And then they have a choice to make. Are you going to believe the church and the traditions of the church, or are you going to believe what the Word of God says? It never changes. And by the way, if they believe in church traditions, you can say, well, wait a minute, things keep changing. For example, the Pope's latest declaration that same-sex unions are to be blessed because they're, they're, they're all God's children. Well, well, that's a brand new teaching. If the Pope is speaking for, for God and God never changes, why do things keep changing? And all you can do is keep asking these questions and, and praying for them and letting the Holy Spirit then um, um, sort of work on their hearts. But but they, if if they really want to know, God will, God will, will provide them the answers. But if they don't want to know, if they're comfortable, and I've met lots of Catholics who are comfortable. No, I go to confession. Uh, I take the the, the take communion, uh, the, the the Eucharist, and uh, that's fine for me. And they want to keep living a life, and they think that well, I'll just live for sin, and then I'll go confess, and everything is going to be fine. Um, there's nothing you can do about somebody who doesn't want to hear. Pray, 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 and you keep living your life in Christ. Regarding uh, Christian science, Christian science, Mary Baker Eddy uh, is the founder of it. She um, um, certainly is not Christian at all. Uh, it's, it's cultish and is uh, um, broken a lot of people. It's, um, there's a lot of information out there. Um, there's a great book, The Kingdom of the Cults, by by um, Walter Martin. It's sort of a classic on the cults, and he has a whole section on Christian science. Um, you know, I don't need think that we need to really dig in deep and understand all the tenets of Christian science. What we need to know is that they deny the deity of Christ, um, and and it's just it's just weird. So um, I know just enough to be dangerous, Greg and really don't care to know that much more. It is in contradiction to what is revealed to us in the Word of God. Thank you for the call, Greg. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Danny we can all relate to. He says, I know God is in control, but it seems like He isn't. Why are things so confused in the world? Danny, things are confused because, because people are confused. Things are confused because no one seeks God, not even one. 
Things are confused because man wants to sin, and God says you got to stop sinning. And and uh, none of that means that God is not in control. It just means that God will not prevent us from exercising our free will to make choices that cause confusion. I mean, all you got to do, Danny, is look around you, and you're going to see that people's lives are out of control. I have this exercise I do called motivators. And when I'm out in the street, when I get to, to 22, and then again when I get to 11, 11 is the number of confusion in the Bible, chaos. And and um, and when I get to them, especially when it's on 22, I got along, I said, Lord, we're, we're, the world is in chaos. Our, our nation's in chaos. The, the, the political system's in chaos. Um, our lives are in chaos. And sadly, Lord, even Christian lives in many Christian churches are in chaos. Um, but I can't blame God for any of those things. It doesn't mean that He's not in control. It just means that we humans are in rebellion. And that's why things are out of control. And by the way, Danny, this is what God predicts is going to happen in the last days. So we need to get ready for it. We need to be prepared for it. You know, I've been thinking about this election. And uh, I, I have an idea the way things are going to swing, in, in, in certainly in the presidential um, side of the election. Um, and I would be really surprised if it didn't happen. Um, but if it doesn't happen the way I voted, the way I think things are going to happen, then uh, I need to be prepared. Okay, Lord, we got to go back to work. There's a whole bunch of people uh, that are going to be led into darkness more than usual, and things are going to get harder. So how can we be a light to those lost in the darkness? And we need to remember that the darker things are in this world, Danny, the more light is necessary. And so we just need to be the light. We need to be the ones with the answers. One of the reasons I started the program with Charles Question Day about reading through the Bible twice, different different translations, is, is as believers, we have the answers that everybody else is looking for. Now, they may not want to hear them, but, but that doesn't diminish the fact that we alone have the answers. We can solve the problems. We have the message. We have the only hope. And when people reject that hope, it's going to continue to seem like the world is completely spinning out of control. So, Danny, that's feeling we all understand. Things are spinning out of control. But Jesus isn't at all worried. He's not sweating it out in heaven at all. He knows when he's coming back. I believe that time is soon. And then things will be obvious regarding who's in control. Here's a question from Sam. He says, Do you agree that there is far less demonic activity now, and in parentheses he has possession, so I think he means demonic possession, than in the Bible times? Sam, certainly as it relates to where we live um, in the West, uh, far, far, far less. Far less demonic possession. Um, but, but in some countries, in some places, in darkness, uh, where they're worshiping uh, false gods, um, in those places, um, then, then there's still a lot of demonic activity. I also think that 
um, there's there's more demonic activity here than we give credit for. I think our our insane um, our asylums, our mental hospitals, are filled with demon possessed people. I think if you go uh, through the streets of Los Angeles and see the the homeless occupying um, the tent cities, I think you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of demon possession. Uh, I think the same thing is true right up the freeway from us in Austin, Texas now. But the 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 world is never going to accept that because they're they're unbelievers. So I think there's a lot more than we actually think. But you're right. There is a lot less now on the whole than there was in, in, in the times that we read about in the Bible. And remember, that was a time when there was really almost no light at all in the world. And Satan was having his way. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. But I also think that we sometimes underestimate just how much satanic um, intervention, possession, um, and oppression uh, there is. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. I hope you've got a thick coat and some silk long johns. Ray, I've got three layers on, and this is just the first cold day of the year, so I'm I'm ready for now. Anyway, well, I, I would recommend silk long johns. Uh, they, they you can stay warm with them, and uh, if if it warms up, then you don't you don't have to peel them off like some of the thermal stuff. But at <laughs> any rate, um, you had mentioned eleven was the. Uh, in the Bible, the number for confusion? Yeah, confusion or chaos. Okay, well, since I live in that state, maybe, <laughs> uh, uh, where, where does your numerology come from? I mean, is there a book that tells you uh, one through, you know, pi or what, you know? <laughs> Uh, no, there's no book. Now, now honestly, actually, Ray, there, there are some books on, on biblical numerology, but they get really, really carried away. So what you do is you learn through just reading the Old Testament. God, God gives us patterns. Uh, over and over, you'll see things. Um, the seventh day, for instance, seven is the number of completion or perfection. Uh, that comes from the creation account. Um, six, the, the day man was created, six becomes um, the, the number of man. Um, uh, when I get to six in those exercises, I'm just thinking, Lord, beat my flesh, beat my flesh, um, because I have to die to my flesh every day. Uh, if you go through the um, some of the extensive details on the tabernacle and later the temple, you'll see reoccurring numbers, five is a number of grace, and five keeps coming up, pointing to the grace of God, God's unmerited favor. Um, uh, three is the number of God, Father, Son, Spirit. It's a, it's the number of Trinity. So there are numbers. Now the problem is that people get carried away with these things, and we don't want to do that. Eight, um, Israel uh, it was commanded to circumcise their sons on the eighth day. Eight, we know, is the number of new beginnings. So it, it just comes from studying the Bible and applying those numbers, taking note of those numbers. Um, um, ten is the number of order. 
Um, so so uh, we, we just see those things. Twelve is the number of government. And, and that's as far as we go. You can take the numbers one through twelve. And while I don't really see anything um, uh, biblical about the second day or, or the, the, the number two um, or, or the number four, uh, five, six, seven, and eight um, are clear to us, the number nine. Then we also see later 40 days is, is repeated throughout Scripture. So those are the places that we get it, uh, Ray, but we don't get it um, if we if we get sort of out of balance with it. So I hope that answers your question. Just be really careful about the numerology because people get really, really crazy with it. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate it very, very much. I have a question that's going to take more time than I've got. We're inside three minutes now, so let me find a quick question. Andrew says, Pastor Ron, I recently rededicated my life to Christ. I would like to get be rap- to get rebaptized. Is it okay or is it wrong? Um, Andrew, I don't think it's it's ever wrong. Um, you've fallen away from the Lord. You you broke the promise that you made when you got baptized the first time. Now you don't need to get rebaptized, so please don't misunderstand me. But I think it's perfectly fine to do it. I think it's a public profession of of a rededication to the Lord. And, and, you know, when we baptize people, we give them a chance to share uh, what's been going on in their life and be a wonderful testimony for you to be able to say to somebody, well, you know, I, I was baptized when I was younger, but I spent a long time rebelling against God and falling away, and now I feel like I'm born again again, and, um, and, and I'm publicly declaring the death of the old me all over again. So I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity to witness to people in your life who watched your you're, you're falling away from the Lord, and, um, and, and they can observe um, your rededication, your recommitment to following Jesus with all of your heart. The only thing you need to do, you know, when, when, when unbelievers especially know that you've fallen away, uh, a lot of times we come back, we get reconnected to Jesus. They just think it's another phase we're going through. Remember that you made that statement publicly, and people are watching, and what you're going to do is be serious about your witness. You're going to be serious about not compromising. And most important, you're going to look back on your life when you started to fall away from the Lord, and you're going to avoid those mistakes. What did I stop doing, or what did I start doing? And then what you're going to do is is remember. That's what Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, who lost their first love. said, first repent. That's what you've already done. Uh, remember. Remember the, the things that you used to do and then return, start doing those things again and just be committed with all of your heart so that there's never going to be another need to do this rededication. Andrew, thank you. Great question. Well, that half hour went quickly. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You'll never know how much I appreciate you taking the time to tune in to the program. Uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. 
The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.